WHHH-FM Indianapolis. It's time to take a look at what's going on in and around Indy. It's Open Lines, your eye on the community on High 96.3. Hold up. And good morning to you, Indianapolis, on a Sunday morning. It is July 5th, 2020. I'm Indy's newsman, Cameron Riddle from WRTV, sitting in the Radio 1 studios with the queen of community. Good morning, Ebony. Good morning. What's up, Indianapolis? This is your queen of community, Ebony Chappelle. So happy to be with you on this beautiful July 5th morning. We got a lot to talk about, Cam. I've really been working on Ebony and owning <laughs> uh, the queen of community title, and she's getting there. She's doing it. She's oh, doing goodness. It. <laughs> we are getting there. You know, I'm, you know, I'm Miss Humility all day long, so I'm always trying to, you know, play it cool, but... You know, this is where we're at, so. Wear yeah. the crown and wear it proud. <laughs> so much Indeed. to talk about. you know, about. it's funny because my family has called me queen ever since I was a little girl, so it's more of like an inside thing. So now to put that out into the atmosphere is just kind of funny. Full well, circle moment. Well, let everybody know because <laughs> no one's in the community doing events more than you. Yeah. All right. There's a lot to talk about this morning uh, on the show. We will be starting with the very latest on the coronavirus. Of course, those numbers have gone back up. You've seen yes. it around the country, and now we are seeing it here. We will talk about uh, why we are soon be required to wear masks right here in Marion County. Absolutely. Um, as Cameron mentioned, the numbers have gone up, and after a busy weekend of people gathering and whatnot, um, I'm sure that the numbers are going to go up even more. So we are not out of the woods, y'all. This is still something that is very real and also disproportionately impacting our community. So we are going to talk about that. We also are going to have a conversation on race later on in the show in the nine o'clock hour. So be sure to stay tuned for that as well. But first here in the eight o'clock hour coming up at 830, uh, we'll talk about something else that is real and that is impacting uh, the black community and that is IndyCar and IMS. Yes, those things usually are not in the same sentence but IndyCar and IMS are making a major effort at diversity and inclusion. Mark Miles from uh, Penske Entertainment Corporation will join us this morning at 8.30 to talk about why they want uh, more black folks, more people of color to come out to the Speedway and come to IndyCar. We'll talk about their efforts on doing all of that and then uh, in the 9 o'clock hour We'll talk about that conversation on race and a power parade uh, for the kids that is happening with the Urban League. We'll tell you more about that coming up this morning. But first, let's get you caught up on what has happened in the news this morning. One person is dead and three others are injured after three separate shootings overnight in Indianapolis. IMPD officers were first called to Harding and Pruitt Streets on the west side around 1230 this morning on reports of two people shot. Officers located two victims and they are considered to be in serious condition. Then about two hours later, a gunshot victim walked into Community Hospital East. Police believe that victim was shot near 42nd in college on the city's north side. That victim is in stable condition. Then around 3.40, it continued this time just off the canal between St. Clair and Michigan Streets. When officers arrived there, that's where they found one victim had died from an apparent gunshot wound. Scott Dixon finally made his second trip to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway's victory lane. 
12 years after winning his only Indianapolis 500 on the Oval, the five-time series champion added a second title Saturday at the IndyCar Grand Prix. There is more racing today with NASCAR's big machine hand sanitizer, Brickyard 400. In the forecast, partly cloudy skies with a 30% chance of thunderstorms and a high of 93 degrees. Monday looks similar with highs in the 90s and more chances for thunderstorms. Right now, it is 73 degrees in Indy. And so, Ebony, as we talked about, uh, coronavirus, very, very much still a real thing. This is something we've been having constant conversations about since March, and we were talking about flattening the curve. We went on a stay-at-home order. We did all of that. Then uh, states, including Indiana, started to do their reopening plans to get the the economy back roaring. And now it, it feels like we're we're on the verge of hitting another uh, slowdown as states start to go backwards, or in Indiana's case pause reopening or, or, or slow it down just a bit because numbers across the country and right here in Indiana are going back up. Absolutely. So the latest numbers from the Indiana State Department of Health as far as total cases of coronavirus, 47,432 deaths is almost 2,500 deaths that have been reported. Um, as you mentioned, as states start to open back up, Um, As we start to see more people get out and about, um, I fear that it has created um, a false sense of security and people feeling like, oh, maybe, you know, the mask don't really need it. Um, I've gone out a little bit to do things and I masked up the entire time seeing people without a mask on um, is disheartening. So to hear, um, like you mentioned, that soon in Marion County, we're going to be mandated to wear a mask in certain public situations actually makes me feel good um, because it makes me feel like maybe we'll be able to capture this thing before it goes too far. Um, So this is just something that we really, really want people to pay attention to, to stay on top of, washing of the hands, wearing of the mask, all of that so that we can be safe and Make it to have a decent Christmas, hopefully, because right now it is looking pretty shaky. Well, let's talk about the latest numbers. So right now, uh, the state is reporting 522 new cases yesterday. Mm -hmm. That brings the state total to 47,432 cases. In Marion County, we are looking at 11,546 cases. Now, to put that in a little bit of perspective for you, at one point when we thought things were uh, the the absolute worst. Indiana was in the top fifteen consistently of states for the worst um, amounts of of coronavirus uh, positive tests. And then as uh, other states as this went on, our numbers started to dip. And right now we're doing um, among the best. We're one of, we're going to be one of the last states to start going up. But we are now going up. So think mm-hmm. about this. Back on April twenty sixth, that was pretty much the worst day of the pandemic. Uh, thus far for Indiana. In a single day, 946 new cases were diagnosed. That was also the same day that they announced the outbreak uh, of coronavirus up there in Cass County. So that was that was the highest day. The lowest day uh, of cases since we went over the hump uh, was on June 7th when there were 233 cases. So we got down quite a bit. You know, we were in the 200s and 300s of, of of people getting diagnosed after weeks of 
500, 600, 700, 800, 900 cases being the average. Uh, and so now for us to go back up from we got all the way down to 233, back up now to 522, and it's not just one day, it's a trend. Mm-hmm. That's why uh, Governor Holcomb hit the pause and we're going to go, We are, well, I guess as of yesterday, we are officially in stage 4.5 of the back on track plan. And then here in Marion County, the largest county and the most densely populated county, starting Thursday on the 9th, face masks will be mandatory. This is, at least in Indianapolis, their attempt to slow it enough that we don't have to go back into a uh, another stay-at-home order, more lockdowns. School is about to start. And I did ask the governor about, hey, uh, w- w- uh, with this slowdown, does that mean uh, schools and parents should start making alternative plans? They say no. The research right now is is saying that um, at the beginning they thought kids would be a super spreader, but they looked at data from countries where they closed schools and mm-hmm. countries where they kept schools open, and they did not see a large difference um, of those numbers among uh, kids who stayed in school during the pandemic. So, Ebony, yeah. with all of that said, mm-hmm. this is very serious. There is number. This is all data-driven. This isn't just something that is happening in other states. It is far worse in other states. And I know mm-hmm. people are saying, well, if it's not that bad here, why why, why are we putting on masks? Let, be, because the goal is to not wait until, until it, it gets, gets too bad. bad. Yes, Exactly. And then you think about the fact, I mean, Marion County is the most densely populated in the state. Um, But when you look at some of these other places where it's worse, you know, these are cities that are even more densely populated. So we I mean, no, no place can afford to have a significant number of their residents being exposed to this virus, because as we know, it is highly um, infectious and so easy to come into contact with. Um, Something else that I wanted to mention is that testing has become more readily available to people. So I wonder if that has something to do with the numbers going up is the fact that testing is more readily available. So people are able to find out their status um, a lot easier than they were before, because when we first started out, testing was regulated to people that were deemed essential workers or if you had um, a certain number of the symptoms. Now it's pretty much being open to whoever wants one. Um, So I say that to say, if you have not gotten a coronavirus test um, and would like one, definitely, definitely go do that. Um, Because just like we talked about with the HIV virus, knowing your status is incredibly important because it's important not only for your own health, but for the health of those around you so that we can make sure that we're looking out for one another. Um, Again, cannot stress enough how serious this is. I know that the masks get hot. Trust me, we are going to experience, um, they think, record high temperatures in July. It's hot. We get it. We understand. But a little bit of discomfort is is a small price to pay to make sure that you don't come into contact with this. Um, I'm reading even more about people who did come into contact with the virus months ago, recovered, quote unquote, but are still not at 100% still dealing with issues with their lungs, um, issues with their breathing, and and just being able to stay on top of things. So this is something that we don't want anybody to come into contact with, um, especially if you can prevent it by doing something so simple 
as wearing a mask. We even have a mask program with the city of Indianapolis where you can get five for free. And they're pretty jazzy. You know, it's blue. It has indie on it. You know, so you're able to kind of rep at the same time as keeping yourself safe. As a, as I heard someone say, better to be six feet apart than six <laughs> feet under. Goodness. Uh, 317-239-9696. 317-239-9696. That's the number to get on the air as we talk about uh, us being in stage 4.5. Hopefully uh, the pause does not make us go into uh, stage 4.75, a different slowing. Ebony, you talked about um, the numbers and, and could test Testing be part of it. Testing is always mm-hmm. part of why those numbers go up. But as Governor Holcomb has talked about, there are four different principles that they look at, and that's how they know when they should be slowing um, uh, reopening the economy. One of them is the hospi- is hospitalizations and how many people are going to the hospitals uh, for complaints of coronavirus, and that is one that where they can see. Okay, it's not just people that are. Positive because some people, as we know, have been positive, didn't have mm-hmm. any symptoms. Some yeah. people have been positive and they've had just a simple cough. But when it goes to the next level of hospitalizations, that's when they know, uh oh, not only are people getting positive, but people are having symptoms and now people are needing emergency care in the hospitals. And remember, the yeah. shutdown across the country was all because the goal was to not overwhelm the hospitals with people who needed treatment. So, with that, some of the four principles, again, monitoring the number of hospitals, hospitalizations, uh, retain the capacity to treat the surge of patients. That's how that that's that part of that curve. They want to know how many people can we handle. They also, of course, want to have the ability to test all of the Hoosiers who are symptomatic mm-hmm. and then is having the ability to contact trace people who not only have po- get positive, but who have been around someone who has tested positive. Yeah. The phone lines are hot, Ebony. Let's All hit right. the phones, see what folks have to say at 317-239-9696. Caller on line one, good morning. You're live on the Open Line Show. It's Larry Vaughn. Good morning, Larry. Larry. I'm really sorry, but uh, we are being duped with this whole deal. I mean, crimes against humanity are being committed, and nobody's calling it out. We are going down the same road that happened 80 years ago in Germany. The public health officials, the SS, that's what they were, public health officials. Just like we have now amassing right now, the health department have inspectors with their own cars and uniforms and the own, their own emblems on their cars that are going to enforce this mask wearing deal. And they're also going to enforce the, the new quarantine that's coming up where everybody's going to be required to stay in their house and come out on alternate days. Once we accept this mask bill, and you ask, uh, you well, got a source on that, Larry. Here's, a, here's how they're going to enforce it. You right? got a source on all this, Larry? Yeah, this is the source. The uh, I'm t- talking about, and I've said it before, the Model Emergency Health Powers Act of 1997. You can go online, you can get that, Cameron and Ebony, mm-hmm. and read that and be informed as to what's going on. This is a quarantine as a criminal. I mean, these officers like Dr. Kane, they are not medical doctors. They're public health officials. They don't have the same relationship with the with the people. They look at you as a citizen, not as a patient. And all those uh, qualities of a medical doctor do not come to the situation with you. But we are being lured into, and when we accept this deal, what they're going to do is when you uh, don't, when you get caught, maybe on camera or something, 
they have a whole system of statutory laws that govern uh, their orders. All right, Larry, I'm going to stop you right there, Larry. Uh, Thank you for your call. Um, When it comes to Dr. Kane, uh, I'm I'm not going to play around with um, what her credentials are because we are in the middle of a pandemic Mm -hmm. and Dr. Kane is not just some figure who stands up there and tells the mayor what to do. Uh, She is indeed a medical doctor. Uh, She is literally an infectious disease expert. She's got more than uh, 45 years of experience in the medical field. And if we want to go through her credentials, she graduated from the University of Buffalo State University of New York and the School of Medicine back in 1976. She is not only so good at her job that she has the job running the health department for Marion County and Indianapolis, the 12th largest city in this country, but she was also on President Obama's task force uh, for infectious diseases. So this woman knows her stuff, and she is not just some doctor who was up there talking, or, as you said, Larry, is not just some woman who was up there to go speak on things and has no expertise in it. She literally does have the expertise. And so with this being uh, our radio show on this radio station uh, during this pandemic, uh, it is my duty to correct that record to let you out there listening to know that when Dr. Kane speaks, it's because she knows what she's talking about. It Disagree with you want, disagree with what she's saying if you want, Mm -hmm. but we won't allow anybody to uh, attack somebody with 50 years of medical experience who's led us through this pandemic. Yeah, and Cameron, I just wanted to add to that. I mean, very excellent points in in clarifying that and bringing some um, credibility to the conversation that we're having. Um, As far as the mask wearing and the quarantine and all of that, I think one of the biggest issues is people seeing this as a negative thing and seeing this as Um, just another level of policing when in reality it is designed to do exactly what it is that we're talking about to slow the spread of this disease Um, again on this radio station that predominantly serves the black community and communities of color in this city um, it makes absolute sense that we would encourage them to take care of themselves and to be safe because we're disproportionately being impacted and the ones dying at, you know, large rates due to this disease, which can be prevented by doing simple things like wearing a mask and social distancing. So just want to add that in there once again. Let's keep going to the phones until we have to switch subjects at 830. We've got IMS and Mark Miles coming up, but the phone lines have blown up. Uh, let's keep going. Caller on line two at 239-9696. Good morning. You're live on the air. Yeah, how you doing? Guys, this is Brother Motep, and What's I up, really man? appreciate you all. And uh, First of all, I want to give a shout-out to RTV6. Cameron, I've sent a few tweets your way. Uh, they definitely do some artic- more articles in the community than probably everyone else. And uh, Tony Washington's article. Uh, Troy. On those mur- Troy, I'm sorry, yeah, Troy on the, mur- on the mural, and then the one on Harville I just read this morning. Uh, the uh, march they had through Harville, the hood march. Well, on behalf uh, of the WRTV6 team, thank you, sir. Yeah, we appreciate that, and I appreciate you clearing things up because I've worked in healthcare for 26 years as a healthcare professional. I've probably been around every disease process known to man except this one. Now, this is new. This thing is different. We're all in the hospitals. This is different. You may have someone over here with no symptom. You get the people over here who are gone. These uh, filed in law, Coco's filed in ICU for six days. It's nothing to play with. And the point of the matter is that prevention, uh, ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Mm-hmm. And we keep going through this pound of cure instead of doing an ounce of prevention. 
and we keep talking about the cost that's being paid. We're absorbing the cost. We've got our raises stopped in the community health care system. Our raises have been stopped because they've incurred $185 million in uninsured costs from COVID patients. So I don't know what Larry's talking about. He doesn't. He's not a healthcare professional. I know that for a fact because I've worked in every facility around here just about through contractors, and I've never seen them. So I know he's not that. And, and third of all, my question is, is the irresponsibility, again, of the people. My sister's up there in Gary. She called me from the beach yesterday riding through and said everyone was at the beaches in northwest Indiana, packed, mainly Illinois tags, packed, no masks, no social distancing, just doing whatever they want to do. And that's the problem we have in this country. It's not about being free. Mm-hmm. It's about being responsible. And we're not responsible as people. And going to Virginia Kane, and I'll be done with this, I respect everything she do. But when we see this uptick now, and maybe you all can ask this question, this is why we're having a problem understanding the school situation. And a lot of the older teachers are scared. I have teachers, mm-hmm. relatives, or teachers who are fearful about what's going on. So I think they're going to have to go back and revisit the school plan that she came or they, what they haven't really put out yet, but she said they were going to reopen because now we see that this issue is still bigger than what we know. And, and you're talking about thousands of people in the schoolhouse at one time. So I, mm-hmm. I wish they would at least revisit that issue and, and understand what's going to go on because most of us are not going to send our offspring in there right now. And thanks for taking my call. I thanks, appreciate man. it, MOTEP. That, yeah, that's top of mind for me, too, as, as many of you out there listening know. Yeah. Uh, I drive a school bus. Uh, in addition to working here at this station and Channel 6 across the street. Uh, and so I've had lots of conversations with uh, some of our older bus drivers. Um, it mm-hmm. is no secret that ha- the age of the average school bus driver and the uh, body size, if you will, I ain't that skinny. I, I got <laughs> I put on some weight uh, driving that bus. And yeah. so that automatically puts you at risk. That's just on the bus side. Then you've got in the classroom. Think of how many teachers have been there for 30, 40 years mm-hmm. and, and are in this at-risk group. I will tell you when I did ask that question to Dr. Box and Governor Holcomb at last week's uh, press briefing, uh, they said that the the numbers with students did not seem to fluctuate in other countries who either kept their school closed versus countries that kept their schools open. And so with that, they don't believe younger students. This This is according to Dr. Chris Box. She says the research doesn't seem to point as much as it did before that kids are super spreaders. So they Mm -hmm. don't think kids spread it as much, nor do they think um, kids have as bad a time with it. Um, She says their immune system is good in in most cases, not every case, but right now the fluid data points to kids being able to handle it better. It seems like the real change though has been people in their 20s and 30s that's yeah, the one making up more, more uh of the cases whereas yes. before um I, again there was this false belief that you know the 20s and the early 30s were not really at risk and it was older people people with pre-existing conditions um so now we have seen the numbers trend in a different way Um, I think one thing about the school situation, because I've talked to my family, I'm the auntie, so I have a bunch of nieces um, and I've talked to my family members about whether or not they're going to send the girls back to school. And right now it's kind of like up in the air and wanting to figure out um, how to do it and do it in a safe way. So one thing that I would suggest, because Cameron, you and I have talked about this at length, um, some parents have to go back to work. 
they don't have the ability to stay home with their children. They do not work jobs that um, have the ability availability for them to work at home. So they have to actually go to a place. Um, so where are the kids going to be? They need to be at school because who else is going to be there to watch them? School um, is yeah. child care, whether people want to admit that or not. It Ebony, is. let's jump in with one more call yeah. before we have to go to break on line three. Caller, good morning. You're live on the Open Line Show. Greetings. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. How are you, Paul? I'm doing great. This is Paul calling. I want to thank y'all because I'm the one that requested last week that you bring these professional people on this week. And I trust every decision y'all make and every professional person that you guys bring on the show. So I want to thank y'all for that. Absolutely. Uh, It's coming. Just so you know, there's going to be more as schools and everybody get their plans together. We're going to have some of the superintendents and health experts on in the next three weeks because school starts in less than 30 days. Yeah. Right. So that's great. So I want to I want to get in my my two things that I'm calling in for. All right. Thank you, guys. And I'm going to make it brief. But I kind of came up with some solutions that may not be popular. But, you know, in 1974, uh, Nixon passed an endangered species law. I'm not going to dwell on how we have been viewed as a community or people, but we need to come up under that Endangered Species Act. And that way we won't have to deal with a lot of things that um, and, and we don't have to deal with a lot of things or people shooting at us and carrying on or treating us like animals. And the police department can go right on back to what they were doing. Secondly, I saw uh, on the opening, I saw the light company on the news. Uh, they were asking to regain or to get their profits back or to make their money back. Yes. There's a federal law, and I would like for you guys to bring somebody from the federal government on, that if, a, if you have a disability and you're in a rent situation and they add on your utilities to your rent and then they prosecute you for owing utilities, that is against federal law. And they have uh, out here in the small claims court, you go to the small claims court, they, they acknowledge the lease. But the lease itself is illegal because they are using uh, the rent, I mean, using the utilities as rent. And if the person pays their rent but yet owe utilities, they attach it to the rent, and then they're able to con- uh, evict you. Uh, the I had some documents that, that, uh, that said that they uh, cannot legally, legally hold, your, hold you responsible for your utilities versus your rent. So we are about to be uh, jumped back on because people need to go to work and they need to pay their bills. Mm-hmm. But we need to go back and reexamine how we are being treated, uh, and, and especially during this time, because everything should be waived. Nobody should be talking about we, we need our profits or we need this or we need that. We need a system that works for everybody. And Paul, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I, stop. I know, I know, you gotta go. So I want to thank y'all for y'all's time and thank you for bringing these people on. Absolutely, you, and Paul, I just want you to know uh, that we have heard uh, from the Indiana Regulatory Commission on that. 
uh, on that very topic that you talked about, the utility companies, IPL, different ones had all come together and say, hey, we lost some money during this pandemic and we want to pass the buck on to our customers to make up for that. Well, the Indiana Utilitory Regulatory Commission, one of the longest, worst names ever, uh, has decided that, uh, no, you can't do that. Yeah. And so Governor Holcomb has also um, extended the moratorium on evictions, disconnections of utilities, as well as foreclosures for another 45 days. So mm-hmm. that exact thing that Paul is talking about is a thing. But here in Indiana, they have already decided that that will not be an issue uh, that uh, Hoosiers will have to deal with. Absolutely. Which is music to a lot of people's ears. Um because this pandemic has been extremely hard. It's impacted people on so many different levels. So glad to know that the right thing was done in this situation and that people aren't going to have to suffer unnecessarily. Well, Ebony, uh, there's something that is changing in the air. This has been the year of, of change for so many different ways. And That has not been lost upon IndyCar and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Mm -hmm. They have announced the race for equality and change. We go to the Speedway today. Well, if there were fans there, you wouldn't see too many black people there. No, you would not. Uh, I grew up on the west side of town and never had a connection to the Speedway until I was grown and my job took me there. So this will be really, really interesting. So when we come back, we are going to hear from uh, Mark Miles, who is the CEO of um, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and Penske Entertainment about this race for equality and change. This should be really, uh, really interesting. Yeah, we'll see how they are inviting us to come out to the track. All that and so much more coming up when the Open Line Show on 106.7 WTLC and Hot 96.3 continues. This is Open Line. We want to hear from you, your thoughts, your views, your voice. We are your eye on the community. It's Open Lines on Hot 96.3. Let's get back to Open Lines, your eye on the community on Hot 96.3. This is Oshia Boy, editor of the Indianapolis Recorder newspaper and Indiana Minority Business Magazine. You're listening to Open Lines with Ebony Chappelle and Cameron Riddle. And on this Sunday, July 5th, we say good morning to you, Indianapolis. I'm Indy's newsman, Cameron Riddle from WRTV here in the Radio One studios with the queen of community. Good morning, Ebony. Good morning, Cameron. Good morning, Indianapolis. Thank you all so much for joining us for another episode of Open Lines. Ebony, we've yes. been talking about the changes uh, that are coming mm-hmm. uh, to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and IndyCar, which, as you mentioned, Ebony, <laughs> for many people who listen to this radio station, mm-hmm. we cater to a black audience. So we know who yeah. we're talking about here. The next interview that we are about to have is very on purpose because they want to specifically talk to black people Indeed. in this community. But as you said, Ebony, you grew up on the West Side. You went to Ben Davis, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, right there in your backyard. Yep. You had never had any connection to it. Not at all. Um, when I was growing up, when it was time for uh, the Indy 500, 
the things that I remember is it being really, really loud um, at home. And I lived like not right by it, but you would have thought that the oval was in my backyard from how loud it was. Um, I remember having to go to church on a different day as opposed to Sunday because on Sunday you were trapped in your neighborhood because of the traffic redirection. So it wasn't until I was much, much older and I started working in, in fields that took me to the speedway that I had any introduction to what happened um, beyond those gates on 16th Street. So this is very interesting um, to hear about what it is that IndyCar and IMS is doing. And it's very in keeping with the times because, as, as we've mentioned, there's been a lot happening in our country and we have had multiple um, corporate entities step up and say, we want to do something for equity and inclusion and diversity and et cetera, et cetera. Um, we just had the Indie Day of Solidarity recently um, that was broadcast on the stations of Radio One um, and on television. And we heard that Lily was making a $25 million um, contribution to try to address systemic racism here in Indianapolis and beyond. So that's one example. And there are several others of entities stepping up to try to do something in this time. And now IndyCar and IMS have put their hat into the ring as well. They are putting together uh, the race for equality and change. This goes for both IndyCar and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. They have announced this major effort to support diversity and inclusivity. I hate that word, not because of what it stands for. I just can't say it. Uh, as A lot well. of syllables. Yes, yes. Uh, and they want that done across uh, the IndyCar industry. They are mm-hmm. also putting their money where their mouth is uh, with a $1 million fund to fuel internal and external programs that will create that change but it's not just about throwing money at the issue to get some change you've got to get it out there on the ground and that's what they're doing uh, as they try to uh, even get younger people uh, younger uh, black people to get involved in racing so Mm -hmm. uh, let's hear directly from uh, one of the men who is at the seat of the table putting this together that is Mark Miles he is the president of Penske Entertainment Corporation and he joins us live this morning I think from the track with a beautiful sunrise good morning Good morning to both of you and all your listeners. Thanks for having me on. It is, I just it, want to tell you, I, I, I heard the way you set up this conversation. And it, is just, it was perfect because it's, it's really how we think about this. Ebony, you know, we talked yesterday about next-gen racers, which uh, an African-American leader, really a business guy, loves racing. He put it together 14 years ago. It's not a huge program, but it's a meaningful program. He brought about 20 uh, teenage almost exclusively uh, black uh, males out here two week, a weekend ago, I guess. And he was telling me that one of the kids lives three blocks to the east of us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he sees the place, he sees the fences, and he had no idea, you know, that he was welcome here. So wow. your story resonates with us a lot, and that's a great example of but we know we got to change. Well, it, it it is noted that you guys know that with all uh, of the different things. You know, uh, I I had to go do my my homework on on IndyCar and uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway because I, a black man from Indianapolis, have only been to the 500 once, and that was not as a fan or as a media member. But I was taking a load of uh, uh, fans there in a big old motor coach, and they gave me a ticket to go to the 100th 500. So that was a a good time to go there. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, um, there had never been anyone saying, let's go to the track or let's 
let's let's watch racing. Um, and I think a lot of that is because there just have not been a lot of black drivers in either NASCAR. They've got more now than they ever had. Um, and, and through my research, Mark, I was only able to find four black drivers involved in IndyCar racing over the past, uh, you know, 50 years. Yeah, you could go back to Willie T. Ribs mm-hmm. in uh, like 91, I guess. Yep. No, that's that's part of the problem. I mean, it's I understand at least to some extent, I think I can understand why people of color don't necessarily relate to IndyCar racing in this place. There's the, who are they going to watch? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not simple, but it is, it is something in effect. Um, I don't, you know, we don't go, I don't know how long it'll take really to show meaningful results, but I think in all these things, we've, least of late, I think we've been well-meaning, but not intentional enough and mm-hmm. not committed enough and not organized for, to, to really get after all the things that we talked about uh, yesterday publicly that we think we can do to uh, really transform the sport. So mm-hmm. l- let's talk just straight to it on, on some of the things, how you guys are now being intentional. Um, you mentioned Willie T. Ribbs, 65 years old now, the first African-American to compete in the Indy 500 back in 1991 and then in 93, all right, almost 30 years ago. But in a 2017 interview, I believe with the Indianapolis Recorder, um, he offered a solution to get more African-Americans behind the wheel. He said, quote, I would advise IndyCar to create a program that brought in minority students almost into a classroom setting and teach them the sport. Then select the most interested ones and put them into a racing team at an early age, like an apprenticeship. Take two or three of the kids and put them on Penske's team, two or three of them on Ganassi's team, and two or three of them on Andretti. And I'm talking 10 to 12 years old. Then at the same time, put them in go-kart racing, very similar to the way Ron Dennis did with Lewis Hamilton. It sounds like you guys are engaging in plans to do exactly that. Yeah, well, again, I, I think all the credit in the world to to uh, Rod Reed, who who Ron put this program together it was 14 years ago, and a, and a significant number of kids over the years have gone through it. But I think Willie's right; we did not have the rest of the pipeline. You know, we mm-hmm. we, we didn't work hard enough at giving those kids who really had had the skills and the you know the passion for it the opportunity to go to the next step, and we have. You know, for baseball fans, we have the equivalent of single A, double A, and triple A ball, our, our so-called ladder series, which is the way a lot of drivers work their way up to, to the IndyCar level. So that it's there. These teams, we think, can be willing. I know Roger Penske's on this, and he's got the, you know, he's got all the involvements. Now the owner of IndyCar, the owner of the track, owner of the most successful uh, team in, in the sport. So he's got his own kind of pipeline, and I think... Uh, I know that from talking with him, he's serious about trying to really, mm-hmm. in, in a sense, follow uh, Willie's uh, roadmap. Yeah. Mr. Miles, I want to add another layer to this conversation. Um, we've talked about some of the history um, of the Motor Speedway. I want to go all the way back um, to someone that I learned about um, around the 100th running, and that was Mr. Charlie Wiggins, um, originally from Evansville, Indiana, but was a black man that because of segregation could not race, um, but pretended to be a janitor to get his foot in the door and became um, a mechanic that worked on these vehicles um, and also started his own race specifically for black people that wanted to race 
um, called the Golden Glory Sweepstakes, which happened at the Indianapolis Fairgrounds. So we know that there is a history of a disconnect that is there. Um, but now we're in a new age and IMS and IndyCar is committed, um, you know, with this announcement to try to move forward in a different direction. Um, I mentioned earlier that there are other corporate entities that have stepped up to say the same thing. But there are people in the community um, that want to know what makes it different now that makes it more intentional. And it's not just a lip service or a, a message of the moment, but it's something that's going to move forward in a more intentional way going forward. Yeah, well, we like to say, and I'm sure we're not unique, but we mean it, that actions speak louder than words. And so I would say to everybody, just watch and let's, let's you know, grade us and judge us on, on what we get, what we do and what we get done, the effort and the results. Um, I do think that given everything that's happened in this country over the last many weeks, um, we are at this inflection point and seems like all of America's waking up, most all of America's waking up to systemic racism and injustice and, um, and inequality. And, you know, I, this has been a sport that probably was, you know, was certainly not on the front line of, of involving black people and minorities. And I think now when I talk to the team owners and the people in our paddock, our, our broadest, in the broadest sense, the competitors, the participants, they know we got to do better. And, and that, you know, to me, I kind of didn't want our, our marketing people to put a, the race to equality and, uh, and change in a slogan because we don't want anybody to think this is a, 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 a program with a start and a stop. And then we really think this is the way we got to be. And I, I don't know. I, I believe that uh, with really concerted effort and Roger Penske and myself and all of us here being serious about it, we can make a difference that will be lasting. Yeah. Another question for you um, on making a difference that's going to be lasting. We, um, a lot of us were, were very, um, Shocked and uh, pleasantly surprised by NASCAR's announcement that they were not going to allow um, Confederate flags and, and other type of iconography um, at their events anymore. Um, speaking of the Speedway, you know, as a black woman that's coming down there um, to try to be involved in what's going on whenever it becomes open to the public again. Um, what are the steps? Are you guys taking any steps like that to make sure that people feel welcomed and you are um, not going to have that kind of iconography around? Have you guys discussed that at all? Yeah, it's really simple. It's just not welcome. And and we will... Look, I should say this. I, I, you know, a few years ago, uh, NASCAR took up this issue and they sent all their tracks, you know, when they race here, we're in effect one of their tracks, uh, pretty strong language that, that they, they didn't, they didn't want to tolerate the flag, the, that flag, uh, at where they race. And I remember talking for hours with Amos Brown about it and getting his thoughts about, you know, how do you enforce it? Do we make it worse if we, you know, go after folks? But the reality is we've had very little of that here. Mm-hmm. What we didn't want to do was inflame the situation and cause, you know, people who saw it differently to, to bring them out here. But we really had, I mean, I can't say that there's never been uh, a pickup truck with a flag sticker on it or even a flag. Yeah, because they're out there. They're out there, you know, on the Coke lot and and elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. 
But I think now it's it's clear, it should be clear to everybody on our property that's just not going to be okay. And, you know, I've seen, I, I love the, one of the racetracks that was, did confiscate some Confederate flags and they, they handed the person an American flag, sort of a, a, a swap that would be a pretty good trade. So, Mark, I want to point out some of the other things that you guys are focusing on. We just talked about two of the major ones, and that's making it, one, feel more comfortable with, with you know, without, without those flags out there and, and different kind of things that turn people off immediately. Um, and then, of course, the recruiting and, and, and starting really young to get people interested. But not only at the young level, but with folks who are already working in NASCAR and are ready to work in NASCAR right now. You guys are recruiting and developing a, uh, a diverse workforce through all the levels of IndyCar and IMS, um, as well as diversifying your employment, talking about leadership and ownership within the series. In your conversations that you've had with people who are already in NASCAR, uh, the the a uh, number of black people that are already on staff in the series on the team in some way, shape or form. W- did you get to ask them or have any conversations with them? What is it that else that we need to do for you? Because you're already here. What do we got to do to keep you from going to NASCAR or to anything else? Well, w- in the IndyCar industry, which is what we're primarily focused on, um, uh, we think there's a lot that we have to do. One of the things we can do, which we, we've started in the past, but again, everything just needs to be on steroids now. I mean, um, we've had a, a, a college internship program, and I think just like we need to get to young African Americans at very early ages to get them interested in cars and then drive them, um, some of those kids, by the way, maybe won't be drivers, but could be mechanics. Mm-hmm mechanics and engineers. I mean, it's, these are high-paying mm-hmm. professional jobs in this sport. Yeah. So that's important, but it's also important that for the business functions, which I think is what you're primarily talking about, mm-hmm. we establish pipelines. So we want to, we're going to, I think, shift the emphasis of our internship programs, make more opportunities in those programs so more college students of color get, get here, get insinuated into our operation, see what we do, see who we are, what we're about. Um, and I think that can be a pipeline that we can help, that they can help supply uh, the whole industry. Mm-hmm. The other, the teams that, that run cars, um, our suppliers, our promoters, and, and our own organization here. So, Mark, uh, as, 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 as people listen to this, maybe they say, all right, they're taking some interest in me taking some interest. Uh What's happening at the track today? Um, there's been something that happened yesterday. I guess two things that happened, uh, and then there's there's more things happening today. Yeah. So this was really, uh, I think, a historic mm-hmm. uh, weekend in motorsport in this country because NASCAR and IndyCar, that have often been seen as sort of Hatfield and McCoys, mm-hmm. so a lot of our fans don't <laughs> like each other. Yeah. You got to kind of pick your party almost. Uh, in the past, we came together. And so yesterday, um, IndyCar ran a road course race. I'm sure listeners may not know that in addition to the oval that people are familiar with, inside the oval is a road course. And so, you know, it's, it's 14 turns, and it's, uh, it's an entirely different kind of racing, but IndyCars run that too. So we had a full-on championship points 
awarding uh, Grand Prix, as it's called. And that was at noon on NBC. When we finished about two, um, then our teams got out of the pits and NASCAR's Xfinity Series teams came on and they ran a race on NBC on the same course uh, about th- starting about 3 o'clock. So that really was uh, groundbreaking for this sport. And today, uh, at 4 o'clock on NBC, the top level of NASCAR, uh, their Cup Series, will, will run their race on the Oval. So it shows kind of the variety of this track. It shows, like a lot of things, uh, I think the sport, the, the, the different series, the different organizations in the industry of motorsports in this country coming together. Mm-hmm. And I think that bodes well. It, it, we think it's a good thing for the, you know, we've had this Brickyard NASCAR weekend for many, many years. And I think there's so many IndyCar fans in this in this community. Mm-hmm. We, we run the IndyCar race on the Brickyard weekend or in the Brickyard weekend. It'll get more fans out here to take a look at NASCAR on this track and that would be good for the future of this event. Well, we would yeah. love to have been able to come out and, and see it in person this weekend, but coronavirus had other plans. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe now folks may say, all right, let's 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 give them a shot. And they can come out to the Indianapolis 500, which is now scheduled for August. What day, Mark? 24. All right. Yeah, and, maybe and, and we'll have I'm to glad. go down there on a Sunday morning, Kim, yeah, and, ma- you know, do some things. Mark, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll come do a show down there on a Sunday morning on a race day, and, and we'll, we'll help you put in that effort uh, to get more people of color, more black people involved in racing, uh, because there are so many opportunities. You know, you as you mentioned, maybe not everybody's going to be a driver, but there are mechanics, engineers, yeah. businessmen and women. Think of all the people mm-hmm. in our community who are crazy about their cars and fixing them up. And you could make a good living doing off of that mm-hmm. over at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So much opportunity there. Yeah. Or even other businesses, because um, another thing that was mentioned here is increasing the number of businesses that do contracts. So, you know, maybe food or some other type of service as well. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, listen, we're going to hold you to this idea to show out here uh, on 500 Weekend. We'll be we'll be in touch this week, this coming week, to see how we can work together and, and really, you know, take it to the community and, and make sure people know how they can get involved. We appreciate it very much. All right, Mark, we appreciate you coming to take some time uh, to not only speak with Ebony and I, but uh, the effort that you guys are putting in to talk to the people who are listening to this show. Thank you so much. Anytime. Thank you all. Take care. All right. Mark Miles from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, uh, the uh, president and CEO of Penske Entertainment Corporation, joining us live this morning on the Open Line Show. Ebony, a good conversation. We've got more coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. We do. So in the 9 o'clock hour, you guys are getting a special treat on today. Um, We are going to have a conversation on race. Um, Yesterday, some people chose to celebrate Independence Day. Others you know, chose to do some things a little bit differently um, due to the issues that we have been experiencing recently in our country and all of that coming to a head. So we are going to have that conversation on race, starting out with Bishop Tyrese Bowman, who is with the Near Northwest Faith Partners, talking about that power parade. And we are also going to recap a conversation that was held earlier this week with the stations of Radio One and RTV6 on race and issues here in our own community. All of that and so much more coming up exclusively 
exclusively on Hot 96.3. A second hour of Open Lines continues on 96.3. Flip your dial over if you want to stay with this conversation. And on 106.7 WTLC, it is the Hour of Power with Al Sharpton. Coming up, more at 9 o'clock. I'm Cameron Riddle with Ebony Chappelle. This is the Open Line Show. WHHHFM Indianapolis. It's time to take a look at what's going on in and around Indy. It's Open Lines, your eye on the community on High 96.3. Hold up. And good morning to you, Indianapolis. Back for the second hour of the Open Line Show. I'm Indy's newsman, Cameron Riddle from WRTV. What's up, y'all? This is Indy's Community Queen, Ebony Chappelle, here with a second hour of the Open Line Show. A lot to talk about, Ebony. We had a good first hour talking about coronavirus, Mm -hmm. as well as the changes and the intentional effort being made at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and by IndyCar to get more black people involved in racing, both in the stands and in the pits. Absolutely, absolutely. Very good conversation there with um, CEO of Penske um, Racing and Entertainment, Mark Miles, over there at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So if you missed any part of that conversation, the show will be up online later on this morning on our website as well as Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. So very robust conversation, and we're keeping it going um, in this hour with a conversation on race. So we invite you all to join in. Uh, if you have any comments or questions, 317-239-9696. That's right. There was a conversation on race, which you heard yeah. right here on Hot 96.3 on Thursday, as well as watched it on WRTV and on the IndieChannel.com. Mm-hmm. Several faces and voices that you are familiar with uh, talked about the elephant in the room. Uh, however, Even our last segment, our last hour, all of it comes back to race in some way, shape, or form. We'll replay some of that and continue that conversation this morning. But first, uh, we will talk about the Power Parade and for how our young kids, this is a chance for them to get involved. Absolutely. So we are going to hear from Bishop Tyrese Bowman, who is the leader of the Near Northwest Faith Partners, um, one of the groups that is involved in today's Power Parade um, that's going to be happening at 2 o'clock, starting over at the Indianapolis Urban League. And as Cameron mentioned, this is an opportunity for young kids and families to get together and to participate in this movement that we're having right now of social demonstrations and discourse around the issues of race and inequity in our country. Um, One thing that I love, because we talked about coronavirus earlier, one thing that I love about this event is that people are going to remain separated and in their cars. Well, don't give it all away just yet. Don't give it all away. You're right, you're Uh, right. By the way, I got to get Tyrese Bowman on the phone. Yeah. So we will do that Mm -hmm. while we listen to what is new in the news this morning. Another six Hoosiers have died from COVID-19 and an additional 522 confirmed cases were reported Saturday by the Indiana State Department of Health. Since the coronavirus pandemic began back in March, nearly 2,500 people in Indiana have now died from the virus and 47,432 have been diagnosed. 
According to the Indiana State Department of Health, Marion County continues to have the most cases and most deaths all across the state with 683 deaths and 11,546 confirmed cases. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway and IndyCar are making a major effort to support diversity and inclusion in racing. They're calling it the Race for Equality and Change. The new initiative has several focuses, but the most significant one is the creation of a $1 million fund that will fuel internal and external programs for fundamental change. IndyCar and IMS say their key goals of the initiative is recruiting and developing a diverse workforce throughout all levels of both IndyCar and IMS, as well as supporting impactful grassroots youth motorsports programs. That includes enhancing the Indianapolis Motor Speedway's long-standing relationship with next-gen racers. That's a 501c3 that introduces minority students to the world of motorsports. In the forecast, partly cloudy skies for your Sunday with 30% chance of thunderstorms and a high of 93 degrees. Monday looks similar with highs in the 90s and more chances for rain. Right now, it is 73 degrees in Indy. And so, Ebony, you may have to uh, give us a little bit more information. The same information I told you to hold off on on giving away may have to have you give it away because we weren't able to get uh, Bishop Tyrese Bowman on the phone just yet. If we can get him within the hour, we certainly Mm -hmm. will. But we're talking about the Power Parade, which will be going on today, this afternoon, starting at the Indianapolis Urban League. Yes, so uh, hopefully we do get him on. But to bring you all up to speed, the Power Parade 2020, um, as Cameron mentioned, is going to start at the Indianapolis Urban League today at 2 o'clock p.m. Um, our marshals for that parade are going to be City Council um, President Vop Osley and Ivan Douglas Hicks, Dr. Ivan Douglas Hicks, uh, First Baptist Church, North Indianapolis. And this is going to be an opportunity for the voices of the children um, to be heard. We have had a very robust conversation ongoing um, for weeks and weeks and weeks about the racial and in- racial inequity that's happened in this country, um, all being brought to a head through police brutality, unfortunately. Um, so it's a very intense conversation that we're having. And people have wondered, how do I get my kids involved? How do I have these talks with them? Um, Cameron, you've been down to the protests. I've been down to them as well. And you see young kids there um, with their family sometimes. And now this is an opportunity for them to really be involved. So that is happening today at two o'clock. They are asking for people to stay in their cars and to decorate them. Um, So if you haven't done that, you can go ahead and do it um, and decorate your cars and just drive and be a part of this social demonstration that's going to go on Um, along the road during this. They are going to be um, educating people about the rich cultural history of Indiana Avenue, which, as we know, was once upon a time our black Mecca here in Indianapolis. It was our Harlem. It was our black Wall Street. Um, unfortunately, due to issues of systemic racism, once again, um, and gentrification and redlining and what have you, 
um, very little remains of what Indiana Avenue used to be beyond um, the Madam Walker building. But they're going to have um, some cultural education about that. They're going to talk about police brutality and the history of children's po- protests. Um, throughout history because young people have always been involved. So if you would like more education on this and like to look at the tools um, that they've created to help get people um, together for this event happening later on this afternoon, you can go to listen to our future.com. Once again, that website is listen to our future.com power parade 2020 starting at two o'clock PM at the Indianapolis urban league. All right, you talked about conversations, and this week there was a conversation on race, which originally aired Thursday on WRTV, 106.7 mm-hmm. WTLC, Hot 96.3, and AM 1310, 92.7 FM, The Light. It was a combined effort between WRTV and Radio 1 Indianapolis to uh, talk about the elephant in the room, talk about what has been happening in this country. It was a virtual panel discussion hosted by WRTV's Mark Mullins and Rafael Sanchez along with Radio 1's Karen Vaughn and Tina Cosby, faces and voices we know very, very well. Um, Ebony, in Karen's portion uh, of the program, um, she let viewers know about um, the talk. Mm -hmm. And the talk is, um, I don't know if you can hear that. Okay, hang on one second. All right. Um, I just answered the phone because I thought Bishop Tyree Bowman was trying to call. Um... If if that was him, if Bishop Tyree, uh, Tyrese Bowman, if that was you, give me a call back. Um, um, that said, uh, in Karen's portion of the show, mm-hmm. um, they talked about the talk, not that talk, but the other talk. The other parents, talk, not yes. the birds and bees talk, no. but the police talk. Yes, the yeah. other talk that parents have to have with their black children. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've had that that talk. I've had that talk. It's Absolutely. a talk that we will eventually unfortunately probably have to have with our children mm-hmm. um and you know for some it's literally a manual for survival yeah. uh our karen vaughn spoke with state representative greg porter city county counselor uh and indianapolis boys and girls club ceo maggie lewis impd deputy chief kendall adams and zion king a senior at kentucky state university um about that talk yeah and it was probably the best part of the entire hour because it was enlightening um, for people who don't have to have that talk to understand mm-hmm. that this is something that people do. Yeah, it's absolutely something that people do as disheartening as as it is. And I've had to have that conversation with um, friends and colleagues of mine that are outside of the black community and them being confused like, wow, you guys have to literally talk about Um, what you do when you get pulled over. And it's like, yeah, because we have seen time and time again um, what happens in these situations. And even when, and we can't lose this part, even when people do everything right. We saw that with Philando Castile. Mm -hmm. Even when people do everything right, tragedy can still happen. And that's part of the conversation that she also had with, um, Kendale, uh-huh. um, about this very um, issue. Yeah. Uh, Ebony, so, okay, I'm, I'm going to ask, what do you want to do? You want to go to that? Because I think uh, Bishop Tyree uh, Bowman is on the line. Let that, let that We set that up as yeah. a good tease. That's a good tease. Let's go ahead Let's, and um, you want to go ahead and get him and then we can yeah, jump he's, back I in. I think he's here. Okay. Um, so we're going to pot him up hot live on the air. 
Uh, as we put a pin in the conversation on race, we're going to come back to that because I really want you to hear uh, what the panel uh, discussion had to say about that. But uh, on the topic that we just told you about with the power parade, uh, now on the line is Bishop Tyrese Bowman, I think. Bishop, good morning. Yes, Are you sir. there? Good morning. How all are right. you all? Good. <laughs> good. Hey, we're glad to have you on the air. Um, sorry glad about the, the technical issues a moment ago. Um, no problem. Nevertheless, um, Ebony was just uh, setting us up uh, to know about what you guys have, an on start, have going on starting at 2 o'clock today. So, yes, we'll be down at the Urban League at 777 um, Indiana, Indianapolis Ave. Having a power parade going on, so we have uh, Ivan Douglas Hicks, senior pastor of First Baptist Church North, um, as well as very uh, various other members from the community. Our city council council member Bob Ossoli, um, IMPD will be in the house as well as uh, Tony Mason with the Urban League, um, and quite a bit of youth that we have coming out for this power parade. Um, basically, bringing awareness to our youth, uh, letting them know that they have a voice as well within the community. Um, and then also, you know, uh, bringing awareness to our community at large, even in the midst of a pandemic, we can still come together um, and support one another on the educational front, as well as the um, information front is, you know, bringing them up to date with they, what's going on right now. Um, also with the injustice uh, that we're dealing with right now um, and just bringing awareness to our youth within the community. Um, and also with that, um, we'll be having a parade that will go down Indianapolis Avenue, down to uh, the Capitol, so throughout the city on today, um, mm-hmm. just letting our new youth, let them know that they have a voice, um, mostly, and being able to lead this charge as well, but also having that, you know, overseeing board from the adults, letting them know, hey, you know, these are the topics that we're dealing with right now and issues, and we need to address them. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, we also have a community cleanup coming up on the 18th as well on Raiders, so Uh, We definitely have a lot of uh, things going on today Mm -hmm. with the power parade. Yeah, yeah. Bishop, uh, something that I wanted to ask you, as someone that's been, you know, in the community and involved in different areas, um, you guys have done a lot of work around COVID relief and trying to impact people. Um, And now on this conversation about race, we just mentioned earlier um, that we're going to jump into this conversation about the talk. Um, the talk that parents, black parents more specifically, have to have with their young people about how to engage mm-hmm. with law enforcement. Um, what are some of the conversations that you've been having with young people about everything that's going on? And what are they telling you about their feelings um, due to the times that we're we're currently living in? So one of the things that we have been talking to our young people about um, is basically how to, you know, react when, you know, talking to an officer or when you come in and encounter an officer, um, how are you to carry yourself and respond um, with that? One thing that we have been told from the from our young people is that there is a, you know, lack of communication. And I say one, because a lot of our young people fear law enforcement or they have some type of frustration or anger toward law enforcement. And we're, we're working now also with IMPD uh, to build better relationships uh, with our young people, you know, getting them involved in the community, seeing, hey, yeah, you know, they may have some issues going on right now that they have to work out. Uh, but understand that until we come together as a community and start talking about these issues and start putting actions behind it, things are not going to change. Uh, but understanding that our young people have a voice, and that's also a main part of why we're doing this 
Power Parade today, so that way, you know, we're getting the young people um, out in contact and about with those officers and law enforcement to understand, hey, there are a few in the bunch that are bad, but not all officers are terrible or bad at all. Um, and with that, you know, building those relationships to so say, hey, if you have a pullover, you know, make sure your windows are rolled down, make sure the car is off, make sure your hands are visible. Um, you know, if you're walking down the street and the officer stops you, make sure that you have your hands out where they can see it and, you know, you identify yourself and, you know, don't argue or raise your voice. And those are just the times that we're living in right now. Yeah. What is your response to people that hear that and feel like we're leaning too much on on respectability politics and those things and not putting enough of an onus on law enforcement to do their part to keep everybody safe. What do you say to people that are that are feeling like, you know what, I'm frustrated with with trying to have these conversations with my young people. I'm frustrated that I even have to to go there and feel like I have to walk on eggshells and do things like that just in order to survive. What do you say to people that are uh, frustrated with that? Uh, I can I can speak to that one because I've experienced it even within myself uh, being racially profiled by law enforcement. Uh, one thing that I will say to you, um, you know, it, we, we know that we have to live by this code um, based on the color of our skin. And with this, you know, reach out to your community leaders. I'm one leader who's on the ground on a daily basis. And, you know, with that understanding that, you know, we have to come together. One, we have to get rid of the violence in our community because Every time, you know, and it's not a black and blue thing, but when an officer pulls up to the scene, they're unaware of what the situation is. And one thing, you know, that we're working on right now is holding IMPD and the officers and law enforcement accountable for those actions. But in order for us to do that, the community must also support. And with that, yeah, we can talk and we can say one thing and do, you know, another, but until we actually come together and say, hey, you know, we want change in law enforcement. We want that when my child walks down the street to get on the bus to go to school, that they're not being harassed, that they're not being stopped. And we don't have to look over our shoulders wondering, you know, when the officer, you know, what they're going to do. Or, you know, if an officer jumps behind us and we're driving down the street, we don't tend to forget afraid because we might be pulled over and we don't know where it will go. So with that, gaining the support of the community and coming together to unite for change, one, peacefully. Two, you know, putting agendas and, you know, uh, practical points in place so that we can address the need and the concern. And then we wait for that response and we demand that response. That's what we have to work on first and foremost. Bishop Bowman, uh, this afternoon you have the Power Parade of 2020 going on. Why should a parent listening right now uh, bring their child, their family out to be in the Power Parade this afternoon? One, they should bring their children out because that lets them know that they are part of the community, that they are part of change, that they're moving forward. And we're doing this to unite our youth because right now we're with the youth being out of school. You know, they're not being able to be around their friends, you know, being socially isolated, um, getting them out involved and active again in the community, uh, bringing their child out because we have a wealth of information. We have booths and tables that will be set up um, as well for uh, not, you know, non-vendors, non-sale vendors, um, but as an informational tool, uh, being able to seek information from education to, you know, politics, being able to 
talk with your city council counselor and being able to talk to, you know, the IMPD officers, being able to talk to your community leaders on a one-to-one basis and be able to receive the information that is vital, you know, to the development of a young child. So that's one of the main reasons why they should be able to bring their child out and then also be in that march and, you know, that parade going downtown and, you know, letting and leading by example, mostly. Uh, being a good steward, you know, not of, only of community service, but of faith as well in leadership. All right. Bishop Bowman, uh, thank you for giving us a call this morning. The Power yes, Parade starts at 2 o'clock this afternoon at the Indianapolis Urban League. That is 777 Indiana Avenue. That's near West Street and Indiana Ave in downtown Indianapolis. Good luck, sir. A little bit of rain in the thank forecast. You. but Rain or shine, yes, you guys sir. are still going, right? Still going. All right. Sounds Absolutely. good. Absolutely. All right. All right. Thank you, sir. All right, Ebony, all of that um, falls back into that conversation on race that you were having. You uh, inserted it into that conversation. It's one of the reasons why they were out there. Before we went to Tyrese Bowman, we were talking about the talk and the conversation that is had. Um, the conversation that was had between um, Radio One's Karen Vaughn, IMPD Deputy Chief Kendale Adams, as well as City County Counselor and Boys and Girls Club CEO Maggie Lewis, State Representative Greg Porter, as well as uh, Zion King, a senior at Kentucky State University, having a conversation. Remember, this is on this radio station and our sister stations and WRTV. So a combined, a large microphone as well as online. And the goal was not just to have a conversation with black people about black people, but a conversation with all people about Mm. what black people are living through. So for some people, this was really enlightening to hear. This is what you guys go through. I had no idea. Some people choose to ignore it, but for some, they just didn't know. I want to play a little bit of the conversation uh, that Karen Vaughn was having with her virtual panel on the conversation on race and what black parents have to tell their black kids. And, and Kendall, I want to ask you because you relate to this topic from both sides as a police officer and father of black children. How did you have this conversation with your kids? Yeah, so, I mean, it's an important conversation that um, I have as a parent, um, as a police officer, and as a person who lives and works in this community. Um, And I have this conversation with my daughter quite often about uh, her perceptions about what she's seeing nationally versus my expectation of how she should interact with persons of authority. And I'm not just talking about police officers. I'm, uh, uh, I'm talking about, you know, your counselor, uh, to some degree, your, your mother, your parents. Um, and so we have these conversations quite, on, uh, quite often, as well as I, I do uh, mentoring. And uh, one of the classes I do with um, some of the judges and some of the lawyers is specifically how to interact with law enforcement and how to de-escalate those situations so that you're not in a situation where uh, you're engaging with the law enforcement for a very long period of time. Because I, I tell the kids that I mentor um, that, you know, I want, I want your experience with the police to be as short as it can be. Um, and so uh, we talk through different scenarios um, that can sometimes lead to um, um, situations that aren't favorable for them 
or situations that are favorable for them. Mm -hmm. Maggie, I want to bring you into this because I know that you are a mother of a young son like I am. Mm -hmm. um, going into high school that will be driving soon and I can tell you um, from my perspective I'm a little haunted by it mm -hmm. he's not my baby anymore he's he's a developing young man that mm -hmm. is going to have various experiences and I can't control them all right um, and not everyone can relate to having the talk with their children so explain to people who haven't experienced this from a mother's perspective what it's like to have a daily fear of your child or your loved ones or, you know, those those young men and women in mm -hmm. your family, the fears that we have for them being pulled over by police or being approached by individuals. Mm -hmm. So so as a mother, they're always going to be our babies, regardless of what age they are. Right. Like mm -hmm. we we want to protect them as much as we can. So those talks are important but also we know that they're they're necessary like we have to have these challenging conversations with our with our with our kids um my young man is 13 years old right and we started having the talk really early in life but specifically at eight years eight years old i'd say i think it's been 12 years since um trayvon martin was murdered and we had to have that conversation with our young man, our, our baby, about being black in America, um, and it's 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 necessary. I feel guilty having it having that conversation um, with him at times, but again, I recognize that I have to talk to him and be honest about what's happening in our country. And, and Zion, I know that you have. Um joined in uh, Kendall and through other organizations, you know, being a part of the workshops in regards to what to do when you're confronted by an individual or a police officer. And how has that helped you? Uh, it's kind of, it's more than a talk to me. It's kind of like a manual for survival almost. So like you can forget a talk, but yeah, when our parents explain like what to do when we get put over by the police, it's kind of like, well, you better do whatever you can to make it out that situation alive. So I feel like it's helped me in a way to like, I'm more cautious when I get pulled over now, because from my perspective, since I've been seeing all this going on with the police, I'm looking at it from the lens of, oh man, this police officer is enraged. He's coming to kill me when all he wanted to do is pull me over because I was speeding. So it's made me, the talk has made me more cautious to okay, he's not mad, he's just doing his job, or hey, you need to move slowly while you're in the car because it can look like you're grabbing for a weapon. So I feel like the talk just made me more cautious. Yeah, yeah. And and have you shared that with, you know, friends that, that you know that may have not had the same experience as you, that may have not had the talk because you're going out, you know, with with friends and, and, and co-workers and other students. So how have you all collectively come together to kind of help each other through? Uh, it just it just depends what my friends look like. Honestly, if they look like me, we're all kind of in the same boat. They know that they need to act a certain way when they get pulled over. With my other friends that may be white, Hispanic, et cetera, they don't really understand like the seriousness of the talk like they understand what i'm saying and how they should apply it to their life when, when they're caught in their situation in those situations but it's kind of like a disconnect there if you're outside of my my race not saying they'll never experience anything like that but it's kind of like a disconnect 
part of the conversation on race, which aired right here on Hot 96.3, as well as on WRTV and the IndieChannel.com this past Thursday, uh, talking about what we go through as black people and that part of the conversation when you heard um, uh, Zion talk about, you know, when it comes to my white friends or my brown friends, sometimes they understand it, sometimes they don't. As he mm-hmm. says, it's it's a disconnect. So this was a good conversation to have yeah. um, about what it is we go through. And I'm, I'm curious for those of you out there listening on this question. One, how do you address this? with um, some of your white friends that you may have. Two of my best friends are white and they get it. Um, And I know that they get it. Um, But I know for everybody else, that's not the same. Mm -hmm. And then, but that also folds into the second question and the second point of why uh, so many people did not celebrate the 4th of July in the traditional sense, because not everybody feels included in what this country is in in its entirety and everything that it's supposed to stand for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm interested to hear um, people's responses to that as well. I know one thing for me in that conversation on race, um, which if you haven't gotten a chance to um, sit down and look at that, go ahead and do so. It's on our website um, and online on social media as well. But it really paints a robust picture and brings people into the conversation who, as you mentioned, Cameron, some of our, our white counterparts, our friends, our coworkers, um, neighbors who maybe don't understand some of the things that we deal with. So they even went back, um, you know, Tina Cosby starting out the conversation and, and bringing people in from a historical standpoint um, on on where we've been and then moving into um, other conversations that were had. So it touched on so many different points from the grassroots and community organizing. We just heard about the talk as well as next steps moving forward. Um, so it's something that, frankly, I, I hope a lot of people gain something from and have a deeper understanding about what it's really, really like to deal with this as a black person living in America. Well, we'll continue the conversation right here on the air on this 5th of July. Taking your calls now at 317-239-9696. 317-239-9696. Question one, how do you explain this situation, this talk to your white friends if you have them or your brown friends when they're around you and how do they respond? And then secondly, on this 5th of July, did you celebrate? And did you celebrate it in the way that it is traditionally thought of as the Independence Day for this country. We've talked about Juneteenth and how that was the true Independence Day for black people. So what was it like in your households? We'll have that conversation right now. 317-239-9696. That is the number to get on the air. And we'll also talk about why, for the longest, it's been a day that for hundreds of years, people have said, this isn't the 4th of July. This isn't Independence mm. Day for me. Indeed. We'll talk about it uh, with words from the great Frederick Douglass when the Open Line Show continues on High 96.3. We want to hear from you, your thoughts, your views, your voice. We are your eye on the community. It's Open Lines on High 96.3. Keeping you connected to what's happening in our city. It's Open Lines on High 96.3. Hey, what up, Naptown? This is your boy, Ricky Smiley, man. Check it out. And you're listening to Open Lines with Cameron Riddle and Ebony Chappelle. 
Thank you, Ricky. Good morning. I'm Cameron Riddle, Indies newsman from WRTV in the Radio 1 studio with the Queen of Community. Venetia Pill checking in. We've been having such a great conversation this morning, Cameron, um, talking about race, talking about some updates at IMS and how they're trying to be more inclusive of the black community. So very robust conversation so far. Very robust. And today is the 5th of July. Yes. And it's not a, a weekend that everybody is celebrating together. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe this might be why. This is the 4th of July. It is the birthday of your national independence and of your political freedom. Fellow citizens, I shall not presume to dwell at length on the associations that cluster about this day. The simple story of it is that 76 years ago, the people of this country were British subjects. Oppression makes a wise man mad. Your fathers were wise men, and if they did not go mad, they became restive under this treatment. With brave men, there's always a remedy for oppression. They succeeded, and today you reap the fruits of their success. The freedom gained is yours, and you, therefore, may properly celebrate this anniversary. Those, Ebony, are the words of Frederick Douglass being recited by some of his descendants. This was put Mm -hmm. together by NPR National Public Radio. Uh, at 239-9696, having the conversation now about the 4th of July, what does it mean to you and your family? Like, I'm not talking about, you know, give me the traditional answer. A lot of people, Ebony, mm-hmm. are not celebrating the 4th of July this year yeah. um, because they still don't feel free. They still don't feel independence. Mm-hmm. That part of the speech you heard is called What to the Slave is the 4th of July, written yeah. by Frederick Douglass way back when Mm -hmm. and i'm playing it today 68 years ago yeah and i'm playing it today because 168 years later it's literally still relevant Mm -hmm. to a lot of people it is and you know what cameron um speaking about um this holiday of of fourth of july it's been my personal tradition for years um to start out that day by listening to and or reading um excerpts from douglas's speech because um i grew up in a household where the same with Fourth of July, same with Thanksgiving. We were taught the meaning of it from a black perspective and a perspective of how indigenous people have been treated in this country. But we use the day because as working class folks, you you take days off when you can get it. So it's like if this is a day that we can kick it with our family, we're going to do that with an understanding of the ways in which racism and colonization has um, affected people of color in this country. So really, really interested to hear what people have to say. I know some folks used it as Juneteenth part two. Um, So really interested to hear what they have to say on this topic, especially in the times that we're currently living in. 239-9696-239-9696 talking about uh, the 4th of July. And for, for our listeners, for you out there, for black Americans, for brown Americans, do you really feel that this is Independence Day? For Frederick Douglass, it was not um, as in that time, you literally were not free. Literally. Um, and so with that, I want to play some more of of his speech. These are his descendants, some of them his fourth, fifth, uh, and mm-hmm. sixth generation grandchildren um, who are living in the world where we can spend all day talking about racial issues and racism and racists. Yeah. And the, the changes that is going on still to this day to make that change. Let's play some more 
of the speech, what to the slave is the 4th of July? Fellow citizens, pardon me. Allow me to ask why am I called upon to speak here today? What have I or those I represent to do with your national independence? Are the great principles of political freedom and of natural justice embodied in that Declaration of Independence extended to us? I am not included within the pale of this glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you, not by me. The sunlight that brought life and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. This 4th of July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice. I must mourn. The words of Frederick, Frederick Douglass, written almost 200 years ago, Ebony, still relevant mm-hmm. today for a lot of people yeah. not celebrating the day. Um, and it all kind of folds back into that conversation on race mm-hmm. that we have been having. Yeah, it does. Um, it is so telling. You know, I get chills hearing that um, because, as you mentioned, this is his descendants, fourth and fifth great great grandchildren um, speaking his words. And the fact that they are still so prominent today as they were 168 years ago is startling. Um, yesterday, we also had um, a speech. Um, we're not going to play pieces from that. But if you are interested, uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan um, gave an address yesterday as well. Um, if any of you are familiar with listening to him, um, the leader of the Nation of Islam, it's long. It's about three hours long, but he really um, speaks to some of these issues surrounding race as well. Um, and it's just, I don't, I don't know what else to say about how um, prophetic those words are in such a, a strange way so many years later. You would think that we would have evolved to a different place, um, but we have not yet arrived there. Uh, the phone lines are lighting up, getting some callers to call in, 239-9696, 317-239-9696. Having the conversation about the 4th of July, what it is and what it is not to you, but also that conversation on race and the talk, not the birds and the bees talk, but the other talk uh, that black parents, or I should just say parents, have to have to have with their black children. Yeah. Uh, 317-239-9696. Let's go to this caller now. Online one. Good morning. Good morning, Cameron Ebony. Thanks for taking my call again. And that. <laughs> What's up, M? Yeah, it's something. I've read that. I've been reading it for years. I read it yesterday. It's a long speech, actually, that uh, <laughs> Frederick Douglass wrote. Uh, it's, it's long, people, if you go look at it. It's, it's not a short three, but take your time and read it. Um, it's perplexing. I told my uh, six-year-old grandson yesterday, he's coming in. You know, he's a child, child's mine. Uh, happy Fourth of July, and I say, yeah, okay. I said, let me sit you down real quick and talk to you. And I explained to him the differences. And we did, we did Juneteenth, and I explained that to him. Actually, he picked that pretty good. And so I explained to him yesterday. And his most telling statement, this is the truth, people, his most telling statement, a, a, a very intelligent for his age six-year-old man was, darn, seems like white people are always getting treated good and black people are always getting treated bad. And I had explained to him, well, these are the things we're trying to change in this country. We're trying to change it. I posit people to go pick up Kenneth Clark, Dr. Kenneth Clark's book, Dark Ghetto. Read that book. Kenneth Clark said, we're not going to get this thing straightened out 
with our white folks. So white folks need to understand what's going on here. And I think some are trying to pick it up, and probably a lot more, but we need that. Going back to the conversation you have with race and Kendall Adams, I know you probably saw the tweet, but I'm perplexed mm-hmm. with him. He talked about favorable and unfavorable conditions. Breonna Taylor was at home. Philando Castillo did everything he was legally on. I'm legal. Those guys in Georgia yesterday in an open carry state are legal. Tamir Rice in an open carry state, even if he was had a real gun, was in an open carry state. John Crawford's in Walmart. We see the video. He's talking to his mother shopping for a BB gun, which is legally sold in Walmart, and somebody lies, and they rush in there like stormtroopers and kill John Crawford. I don't want to hear that favorable, unfavorable stuff. I don't want to hear from him. I get sick. Let me calm down him because I have a problem with Kendall Adams, period, because he's always he's not understanding. There is no such thing as favorable or unfavorable when it comes to us. It's a system. It's a position of just looking at our race and looking at us with the KKK eyes, like those guys that got fired in North Carolina. He won't ever comment about those people. He won't comment about those cops uh, mimicking the boy in Colorado, uh, choking him to death that just got fired. He won't comment on those. we got too much of that going on. And I want the day when he tells me how many people they've turned in. Because the other day that boy, um, that, that cop slapped this woman around, which is dastardly because you're a coward. You hit a woman. It seemed like if you hit a woman, you're quickly fired, you're quickly charged, and you're, you know he's, he's facing termination just on the charge of domestic battery. So I wish that would be the same case when they do something to an mm-hmm. unarmed or legally armed black person it, it makes no sense to me so uh, right. thank you guys for taking my call and keep up the good work Thanks, all right Imhotep. Imhotep, uh mentioning uh kendale and, and some of what he has to say i do have mm-hmm. another clip that i want to play from kendale on this conversation on race but this part with police is as you know kendale is a black man a black father a black deputy police chief so he sees it from both sides so i think part of the question he was asked was what is he telling officers yeah. As as a person in leadership on how to not escalate these situations into something that they don't have to be. Mm-hmm. We could go through a list of where it's definitively. And I say that because they've now been fired, according to their bosses or their merit boards um, in Atlanta or in Minneapolis. They escalated the situation, thus causing injury or death. So the question to Kendale was, uh, what is it? that you are saying inside the police department to police officers about making sure that everybody can go home. I had to say, we need to continue to have these conversations. Uh, we need to continue to talk to our children, talk to our friends. Um, and Maggie said something I thought was important too, choices. Uh, we need to make sure that our children are making the appropriate choices now. I get it. They're they're children. They're not always going to make the right choices. We get that. Um, But when you're dealing with law enforcement, uh, a lot of this has to do with how we behave, the choices we make. Uh, I'm not saying all the time. Uh, Certainly, we've seen some instances across the country uh, where uh, they they you know everything has gone right and still has gone tragically wrong, and and we recognize that. and one of the things that I, I try to talk to young folks about is, you know, we have to look at law enforcement um, individually. We can't look and say what happened in Minneapolis. You know, I'm not saying it can't happen here, but those kind of things have been prohibited in our policy for years. And so getting, you know, Zion, getting to know police officers, getting to talk to them one on one, understanding that, um, like, like he just said, you know, 
you have two people in a situation that are scared. You have both the police and you have the individual. Police, there are more police killed during traffic stops than any other time. I think Zion's probably alluded, he probably heard that uh, during his uh, legal rights class that we have. And so you, you do, you, you have a police officer, black or white, uh, that's pulled over someone that has no idea who's in that car and whether that person will try to hurt them. And then you have the person in the car that, particularly if they're blacks, black or brown, saying, I hope I'm gonna get out of this. So, you know, we've got to de-escalate situations, both on the police side and from a community standpoint, uh, so that we uh, get out of those situations very quickly. Part of the conversation on race between Karen Vaughn of WTLC here at Radio One, as well as State Representative Greg Porter, City County Counselor at Indianapolis Boys and Girls Club CEO Maggie Lewis, IMPD Chief Deputy uh, Deputy Chief Kendall Adams, as well as Zion King, a senior at Kentucky State University. If you would like to see more of uh, the conversation on race, you can watch all 60 minutes in its entirety on the WRTV YouTube page. Just go to YouTube and type in RTV6, the Indy channel, a conversation on race connecting central Indiana. And we did just that right here on the air. Ebony, I- I'd love to uh, have heard what Emotep would have responded to uh-huh. uh, Kendall on that. Yeah, indeed. I-, I think that he would have quite a bit to say. Um, I think one of the issues that the community is having in particular, um, I, I understand Kendall's point about looking at these departments individually from a policy standpoint, but it goes beyond policy. Um, policies are put in place just like laws to try to um, dictate the behavior of people um, and to have some consequences in response to certain types of behaviors. But the problem is that these behaviors still exist. So on um, an individual level, if there are people that are entering into these professions that already have a belief that black people are inherently criminal, um, they are not human and they should be dealt with a specific way, then that's why you end up with the situations that you end up with. So it is very much a systemic issue. And um, I think that's one of the reasons why we still continue to have this disconnect between the community and police because people feel like, you know what, you guys are putting putting these things into place. You're saying, oh, all officers aren't bad, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we still find ourselves in these situations over and over again. Um, so glad that the conversation is happening. It's something that absolutely needs to continue. Um, and we can't let up. We absolutely cannot let up because the people that are responsible for some of the tragedies that we've seen, they're not the only ones. They're just the ones that we've caught. And... Um... To that point, it's a a conversation that is, is happening on a, a number of different levels. And I would mm-hmm. love to hear from a police officer out there. And you can call us in the last couple of minutes of the show at 317-239-9696, 239-9696. If you're a police officer out there, you know, maybe share with us and you don't have to say your name or what department you're with. But w- what kind of training are, are, are you guys going through? What What conversations, more importantly, I think right now? Are you hearing from the leadership and the and the Kendale types who are are, are running the place and, and would like to stay out of the headlines? Yes. Um, it's an overall deal that um, that, as we've talked about today, uh, is happening in everything from policing to NASCAR to IndyCar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have moved to a place where um, I feel like we are we're reaching 
um, a fever pitch where the conversation is just going up to um, a more elevated level, which is a good thing because I think that that's where change happens is through the avenue of awareness. Um, But yeah, it takes all of us having these conversations in our spheres of influence to, and it's uncomfortable. Um, I know as a black person and Cameron, I'm sure you can speak to this, but working in environments where you feel like, do I really have to continue to explain to people like why this is a thing, why we need to be talking about race, why black people need to be treated equitably? Um, so it gets exhausting, but it's one of those things that, again, we have to continue, continue to do, continue to highlight, continue to elevate the conversation and make sure that people are being held accountable um, for getting us to a better space. Well, with that, Ebony, we've come yeah. to the uh, conclusion of uh, of this show. Um, but uh, as we've gotten requests today, uh, we're going to focus the next couple of weeks on coronavirus and going mm-hmm. back to school. School starts yeah. in less than 30 days for thousands of kids across the state, including mm-hmm. right here in Indianapolis. And uh, a lot of parents are not sold. A lot of parents are worried yeah. um, about sending their kids back to the classroom due um, to the risks of coronavirus. Yeah, a lot of teachers. I have friends that are that are educators and a lot of them are wondering, wow, how are we really going to do this? Um, just saw an educator the other day mention, how are we going to make sure that things are safe now when we didn't, we already didn't have the safest working conditions, you know, in that facility that they worked in. Um, how are we going to make sure that we stay safe with this added um, level of danger, frankly, dealing with coronavirus. So that is something that we're going to be focused on here on the show because we want to make sure that we are doing our part to keep our community informed, um, safe, and, and in the right position to make the, the absolute best decisions for them and their family. So going to keep that conversation going. But as y'all get out and about, keep your mask on, please. We cannot stress that enough how important um, it is to keep these masks on. It is the simplest thing that you can do in addition to keeping your hands clean to reduce your risk of transmission of this disease. Hey, if y'all don't want to go back on lockdown, I'll put the mask on. Uh, yeah. that That's the best advice that they're giving us to give to you is to wear the mask. It may not be perfect, um, but I would request that any mall or store uh, turn the air conditioning way, way to cold <laughs> so that yeah. we can breathe because I was at the mall with my mask on. And I was like, you know, this would be a whole lot better if it was cooler in here. <laughs> yes, indeed, because that temperature is going up, boy. With that said, if you need a face mask, you can go down to uh, the Julia Carson Transit Center in downtown Indianapolis. The city is giving away 190,000 face masks. You need to have one by Thursday. If you are in public in Marion County, the face mask mandate goes in on Thursday for everyone in every public place in Marion County. Yeah, one thing I wanted to add, Kim, for people um, that can't make it down there, um, you can go online to indy.gov backslash mask um, and, and figure out how you can get those masks to you as well. All right, if you missed any portion of the show, we'll have it online and you can also listen on Apple Podcasts and, of course, on Hot96.3.com. I'm Cameron Riddle, Indy's newsman from WRTV. I'll see you tomorrow on TV on RTV6. And this is Indy's Community Queen, Ebony Chappelle. You can catch me online, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ebony the Writer to keep up with what I have going on out here in the community. We'll see you back here next Sunday, live at 8 for more open lines. Peace.